All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. With me today is Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Jeff Davidson. My brother Kyle will be back on the MoneyWise program next week. If you are listening to our show for the first time, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-based registered investment advisor, now in our 34th year of business with offices in Corpus Christi and San Antonio. If you'd like to learn more about the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number, once again, is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Dot com. So as we start every weekend's Money Wise program, let's go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week, and we'll start off with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and the week just passed was down about 556 points, or 1.7%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 82 points, or 2.1%, and the NASDAQ last week was down about 299 points, or 2.7%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 19.2%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 31.6%. So we're getting close to that official bear market territory on the S&P 500. I'm guessing, Joe, uh, the uh, fourth quarter rally, is is it officially over? What do you think? I don't think, you know, it, it's not looking like a Santa Claus rally. And I was actually looking at the S&P numbers off the, the close. Uh, it, we're down about 19, I think 19, close to 19.7%. Where that's just a smidge, just, just a smidge away from bear market territory. But if you ask anybody and you look at it, talk to the, you watch the talking heads on CNBC or Bloomberg, it might as well be in a bear market. So that's – and if you average the three markets together, the NASDAQ, the S&P, and the Dow, you took all three of them where they are off the high and divided them by three. Anyways, we're down 20% across all three markets. That's the average. Yeah. So. And before we get too deep into this week's show, I want to say something about last week. We actually had a great show last week, had it recorded, all done, and we had some sort of technical failure between uh, getting the show from our offices to the to the radio station, and uh, we're not able to get it to the radio station in time. It is on our website if you want to go listen to last week's show at davidsoncap.com. Just click on the radio link on the top of the homepage. You can go back and listen to last week's show. Hopefully, we're not going to have that same problem this week. But it, it seems to me that this – very powerful rally. We were taught, we've been talking about it here the last couple of, we talked, I was talking about how far the Dow Jones Industrial Average was above its 200 day line a few weeks ago. It was, you know, several thousand points 
above the 200-day line, I thought, yeah, that's, it, it kind of smells like there ought to be somewhat of a pullback here, uh, and the uh, motivation for that pullback might be uh, the Fed comments uh, that were going to be coming in the Fed meeting, and we had the Fed meeting last week, and sure enough, uh, the markets uh, didn't seem to react very kindly to it, although initially the market uh, reaction was muted, but uh, by the time Thursday rolled around, uh, at one time on Thursday, I think the Dow was down about 900 points. Uh, we didn't close down that low for the day. Uh, and then we were we were down again uh, on Friday. And so, so for the week, uh, we've had, you know, two, a uh, couple of weeks here in a row with the, uh, the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ all down. Uh, still a great quarter. You know, the Dow is still up 14% for the quarter and the S&P up, you know, seven and a half. But, you know, a lot of this rally, Joe, to me, it, there was this market, uh, expectation that the, the, the Fed was going to start the pivot and their talk was going to be more dovish and, you know, inflation is peaked and, and it's going to go down rapidly. Uh, and, and, uh, looks like they're going to be able to engineer the, a soft landing. And I wasn't really getting that impression, uh, from Powell's comments on, on Wednesday and how quickly the market sentiment seems to have changed. Well, you look at the week that just passed, there are three things that happened. And, and if you like to watch TV, you like to follow the markets, you like to follow investing. Number one, you had the FTX thing at the beginning of the week, and you had uh, John Ray, who's the CEO, figuring out how to unravel this mess, which is FTX. That was so interesting to me. So for what? Go ahead. Let's let's talk about this because we didn't have a show the week pa- the week prior, um, and I I think we might have mentioned it on the the show prior. The the FTX. Sam Binkman-Fried, I can't know if I'm getting his name right, was supposed to testify in Congress last week, but uh, the feds decided, no, we want this guy arrested, and we want him thrown in jail, uh, so he didn't get to come to Washington and uh, uh, continue his apology tour that started on CNBC a few weeks ago, uh, and so he's now going to be cooling his, cooling his heels in a Bahamas jail at least until February, uh, where he's going. He's fighting extradition back to the U.S. awfully hard. Well, that, that's not, it, it, would it would a someone that's not guilty be fighting extradition? I would think if if I was not guilty, I would want to get to the U.S. and tell them why I'm not guilty and prove to them that I'm not guilty. But no, I'm going to probably sit here in Bahamas and fight extradition because the U.S. guys are going to throw the book at me. Um, <laughs> so yeah. It, it's it's another story. It's like you know, uh, I don't know how long on the show on this program we have been warning people about cryptocurrencies, and I'm not, you know, we don't need to necessarily bring up the the big ones, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. They they've all got taken out to the woodshed. It's the it's these crazy tokens and all the shenanigans that are happening at the at at some of the uh, uh, I guess we'll call them. Uh, cryptocurrency brokers being FTX being one of them doing all this crazy stuff, taking, taking customer funds and shifting them around between entities and doing all this trading amongst themselves and losing a, a ton of money. And then, Oh, guess what? 
your money's gone. Sorry, so sorry. But you know, we told you in the in the terms of service that maybe we could do some of these shenanigans, but we didn't explicitly tell you. But we should have just been been aware that we're probably going to do some crazy stuff. And guess what? They did do some crazy stuff. And what happens when people do crazy stuff? People lose money. You know, and if you don't understand the what you're getting into, then don't put your money into it. And I know we're coming up here to the break, and we're going to continue this on the other side. I want to follow up on that. Absolutely. absolutely. I'll get back up on my soapbox. So you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number, once again, is 800-275-2162. If you have an investor-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment, we were talking about some of the news of the week. And I haven't even mentioned inflation yet. That was one of the big news news items of the week. And I'll get to it here in a moment. But we're going to get back on our soapbox about the whole FTX and uh, debacle that's unfolding. And I know, Joe, you wanted to add some things um, to what I said in the previous segment. Yeah, just a couple of things. I was watching this at the beginning of the week. Okay, and we're talking about knowing what you own and not investing in things that you don't understand. And it is giving me flashbacks to a time not a long time ago where I actually met Kyle and we worked for a money management firm and our number one holding in a particular large cap growth fund was Enron. Well, guess what? The same CEO that handled Enron's bankruptcy, John Ray, is handling the FTX uh, uh bankruptcy proceedings and when he's testifying in front of congress and they're shooting all these questions at him it was i could not stop watching it and you can go google it you can see the testimony about certain things that jeff was talking about due diligence you could talk about compliance you could talk talk about accounting um you could talk about risk management what was your risk management plan they asked john ray and he said well there really wasn't one (laughs) right but isn't it fair to say that there, there weren't any laws or rules in place that were requiring them to have any of this in place. No. And you know, so, I, so though I feel very sorry for the people that placed money in this organization, they didn't have any of these controls in place to begin with. And if they didn't have these controls in place to begin with, when, when crazy actors get crazy – and Sam Bankman-Free may be one of these crazy actors. Only time will tell, and the justice system will play out as it always does. Well, bad things can happen. And the worst-case scenario is you lose all your money. Now, the other thing about this one that's particularly uh, – also kind of really does leave a bad taste in my mouth. And now, now, I don't have it. We didn't put any money in it. We never advised any, anybody to put any money. We've never had any money and have no plans to ever put money in any cryptocurrency of any kind in any way, shape, or form was the way that uh, there were a lot of celebrity spokespeople that were involved in this. 
And one in particular is a uh, media-recognized expert in all things financial. And his name's Kevin O'Leary, who's also on Shark Tank, and who was paid a whole lot of money to promote FTX over the years. And his credibility as an investor, uh, as a spokesman for financial products, uh, is is certainly uh, taking a beating. And he has been taking a beating on CNBC uh, for a long time, for really for the last couple of weeks, about uh, his his role in promoting uh, what was happening. Where was his due diligence? Well, and you know. to your point, there are a lot of celebrities involved with this, and there's a class action lawsuit. Right. But he's an experienced investor, okay? He's right. a big investor in multiple types of companies. Uh, he's on CNBC pretty often. I mean, I I respect him. Uh, now, obviously, my respect level is a little bit lower. But in his situation, he knows better. He should be able to do his due diligence. The, the part that you run into trouble, you have some trouble, I have some trouble with, is all these celebrities that are promoting it, and there's a whole laundry list of them, okay? And they're being paid to endorse this particular, the FTX and, and this particular investment, the stock. And how much of them have done their due diligence? So you have the ordinary investor watching celebrities, okay, yeah. promote this product. And you have O'Leary, who a lot of people watch, and they, they, they believe he's an experienced investor, and they're following suit. You have to know what you own. And I'm going to get back to one thing we always talk about. Don't own more than 5% of anything in your portfolio, any one stock, perhaps gold, perhaps crypto. Don't do it. You know, take a good look at your portfolio, especially if you're a little bit, you're older. I understand if you're younger, you're going to have probably a larger percentage in one particular investment other than another. But if you get in there and you're 50, 55 or 60, we're telling you once, we're going to tell you twice, don't have more than 5% of any stock. And I would say in certain particular situations, don't have more than 5% of any kind of alternative investment in your portfolio. Um, and maybe, you know, Jeff, you could chime in on that, but I'm pretty adamant about it because I've seen a lot of people get burned by crappy investments they have too much of. So. Well, to me, the, the only due diligence that was uh, performed by any of these people is the due diligence, of, is the check going to clear that I'm getting paid to promote this product? That's the only due diligence, in my opinion, that any of these people paid because they certainly weren't checking out, you know, whether this was a, you know, a, a great investment for people. Now, how much are all these celebrities and, you know, financial professionals, what is their ultimate financial liability going to be for, you know, what they promoted? Um, how, you know, what was there a, a, an adequate level of disclosure to, to the people that were viewing these uh, promotions, you know, to say, hey, you guys need to do your own due diligence. Don't listen. Don't believe what I'm saying. You need to do your own due diligence. And uh, that's what we, you know, it's like what we say to people listening to this show. Don't believe us. Just do do your own do your own diligence about us. It's all there online. You know, whether well, it's broker check or checking out the advisor. There's plenty of online tools to do your own due diligence about anybody that's on on there promoting themselves as, you know, a registered investment advisor that manages money on a full-time basis, you know, but, you know, people pushing products like all these celebrity endorsers, you really, really, really got to 
have a tremendous grain of salt on these on on celebrities pushing stuff like this. It it applies to a lot of different commercials to see gold commercials. There's there's just a myriad of them that you have to watch. Now keep in mind if if crypto is not regulated, then you have a stock that's a, a a a that's an exchange that's dealing with unregulated currency. You shouldn't even be doing more due diligence. And the exchange is not even being regulated. The the, the exchange itself, there was no SIPC insurance on any of those those customers' accounts. Uh, There are rules and regulations in place. Uh, We we do a lot of business. The vast majority of our assets are custodian to Charles Schwab. Um, Charles Schwab has SIPC insurance. They're regulated by the SEC, the NASD. Just a myriad of organizations uh, uh, regulate, uh, and there there's tremendous oversight of of of, uh, of our brokers. So I'm I'm not concerned about any of our clients' assets somehow uh, being misappropriated for nefarious purposes. It, it just isn't going to happen because they have they have controls in place to prevent. Uh, those activities from occurring. Obviously, this wasn't happening in these in these crypto exchanges uh, where people were losing money, and and it's 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 a it's a travesty. It's sad, um, and I, it's a just you know it's a learning experience for you know for all investors. So this that story is going to play out, and you know the guy sitting in jail where he should be, in my opinion. And as the weeks and months roll on, we're going to find out, you know, more and more uh, about what really went on. Unfortunately, I don't think the recovery for the folks that lost money is is going to be that tremendous. And that's the really that's the really sad part. But, you know, we'll see how how it plays out. I mean, the the best education you could do is maybe YouTube, um, the the YouTube, the hearing and with, with John Ray, you could Google it and listen to it. And I think before you invest in anything, you should take a look at that video and watch it. It's, you know, 30, 45 minutes, but make sure, I mean, it's just a hard lesson to learn when you're talking about investing in things that you don't quite understand or things that aren't regulated. I mean, that was the first part of the week and we'll, we'll transition a little bit and talk about what Jeff and I and what your dad tells us not to talk about, which is the Fed. (laughs) Yeah, we've got, we've gone, Joe, I mean, it's a record. We've gone nearly half the show without saying anything about the Fed. And this was a big, a big week meeting for the Fed. But before we get to the break, I want to say something about knowing what you own, because I I was speaking with a prospect. We had just a little bit of time left. I want to get this in. I was speaking with a prospect this week, and he was telling me about his portfolio and where he thought you know he thought he was you know pretty he thought he was conservative or maybe moderately asset you know in a moderate asset allocation portfolio. And when I, the portfolio was delivered to me to to start the review, um, my guess is that this portfolio is in excess of 80% invested in stocks, if not higher. Clearly, there was a breakdown in what the client understood about his portfolio. He is far, far, far more invested in stocks than he believes he is. And that's, you know, as we're coming at the end of the year, I really encourage everyone to take stock in their portfolios and really understand how, you know, what it is that you're invested in, what your asset allocations are. And if you don't understand, certainly give us a call here at Davidson Capital Management for a portfolio review and analysis. And I see we're coming up to the bottom of the hour break. So we're going to take that break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the bottom of the hour news. 
Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investor-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we spent the first half of the show talking about uh, FTX and Bitcoin. Um, the bigger, I guess, the other news of the week. <laughs> it's funny how we've kind of minimized this this bigger news. Well, first we had CPI on Tuesday, and it showed that the CPI index for the month of November rose only one-tenth of 1%. After increasing four tenths of a percent in the month of October, which caused the CPI year over year to fall to 7.1 percent. Now that was a little better than expected, and uh, the markets uh, uh, were favorable. You know, favorable received that uh, statistic very favorably, but it's still 7.1 percent. Now, if Kyle was here with us today. Is this the is this the throw your brother under the bus um, segment sponsored by Greyhound? Well, he might no, he, <laughs> so. he would he would probably say I told you I told you so that CP, that CPI would would be coming down and you know peak inflation has passed and all that and I I, I said look I agree that peak inflation has passed but it's still it's still got a seven handle on it it's still started to the number seven and that's you know, to, to borrow friends, that's just too darn high, right? You know, the rent's too darn high. I'm going to use it, a different. I'm going to clean it up for the family show. But seven point one percent is too darn high. And what's the Fed's target? The Fed's target is two percent. Uh huh. Got ways to go, folks. So, two percent is the Fed's target. We will not get there, and the Fed will will change that language sometime in 2023 or early 2024. But, you know, obviously the biggest news of the week was was about the Fed meeting on Wednesday. And this was well telegraphed from a few weeks ago that the Fed was not going to raise 75 basis points or three-quarters of a percent. They were going to reduce the interest rate increase, but they were still increase interest rates. So we had a half-point uh, rate increase that came on Wednesday. Uh, but the all-important news you know the the outlook the the fed's uh chairman powell's news conference is what you know everyone you know was wringing their hands about and uh the the consensus after during the press conference was that the fed is still very hawkish the talk is very hawkish there were some that they were saying, well, just because their talk is hawkish doesn't mean they're actually going to be hawkish. I mean, does that not sound like someone that's got way too much in money invested in stocks <laughs> and, they need, and they need the markets to keep going higher for the, you know, the remainder of the year to bail themselves bail themselves out of a, of a bad year if they were way over invested in stocks? And we've got we've seen plenty of portfolios this year that were way over invested in stocks. 
uh, whether it be at the end of the second quarter or especially at the end of the third quarter, which is really so far has been the lows. You know, we, we, uh, we haven't gone back to those lows. And the, there's a big debate amongst the three of us, you know, in the marketplace, if those lows that we reached in September are the ultimate lows, uh, that all the bad news has been priced in, that all the earnings revisions have been priced in, that all of the uh, interest rate increases as they're making their way through the economy have been priced in. And and uh, I'm here to say that I don't think that they have all been priced in. Now, am I saying that uh, we're going to be going to new lows in the first quarter of next year. I'm going to say this. If we do go to new lows, I think it will be in the first three months of the year. Uh, the year kind of reminds me of 08, 09. Kind of reminds me of, of, of the way the markets were behaving. It's a totally different situation. You know, the Fed was on our side in 08, 09 because they were actually cutting rates, but we had this big you know, financial institutions blowing up right and left. It was a you know, totally different, you know, situation that we're in now. Now the Fed's not on our side, and they're still not on our side. But, you know, the, the, but there's this, there's this uh, current that's coming against the Fed, and that's what's happening in the bond market. Because even though they've, they've raised the Fed funds rate again here in the week just passed, what's been happening to yields? Across, you know, really across the, they've been you know, dropping. They've been dropping. Mm-hmm. Two year, five year, think. ten yeah. year, and so the bond market is saying we're looking for we're looking for a recession next year. Yeah, we're looking for a shallow or maybe a moderate recession. That's well, we're, my looking for, we're looking for a recession. We're looking for the Fed to quote unquote pivot, which means change their mind on the direction of interest rates sometime in 2023. So do you think it's plausible, Joe, that the Fed is going to stop raising rates and then immediately turn around and start cutting them again? Now, we talked about this earlier this week. If they're going to stop, they're going to stop. But I think that the if you look at the market, the, markets, the market and the Fed are almost going into different directions. Everybody's trying to handicap the Fed and – you know, a lot of the analysts are it's half right and half wrong. And we always say don't fight the Fed. No fun to the Fed's done. We got about eight hundred different analogies for the Fed. Okay, I right. get it. But I think with the market also and I was thinking about this uh Thursday night. Remember this thing called transitory inflation? How'd that work out? So <laughs> The I think there's a certain level of trust where people kind of discount what the Fed's saying or what they're thinking. And think in the back of their mind, maybe they will pivot because of what happened with that statement, and they wouldn't be too far off. But you have to give the Fed a little bit of a break here because you're coming off of supply chain issues and also a pandemic. So we're going to give them a little bit of a pass and a little bit of, of grace, if you will, because we're coming out of a pandemic situation and everything's ca- everything's cattywampus, if you will. Well, well so. I think, as I said, I think in the first segment of today's show, there seemed to be this – this belief amongst uh, managers of money or you know, prognosticators that the the Fed was going to be pivoting soon and you, you needed to get more invested in stocks because they're just not going to raise interest rates that much more because inflation is going to come down in a hurry. 
uh, and uh, we're 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 not going to lose that many jobs, and uh, Washington's going to behave, and uh, all and the, you know, the war is going to end in Ukraine. I don't know what all they think was going to happen in the next six to nine months to cause you know to have this big rally, and now uh, now that's that narrative starting to change as manifested in what's happening. In it, in the markets here, these last two days of this of the, of the week, where we had you know nearly a thousand points, you know down at there at a, you know for a time on the Dow. So what's it, it is it is so incredibly difficult to handicap the unhandicappable. And I'm going to take take that from you, Joe, because you said no, that I agree, me I agree, and I, I hey, I'll, I'll, I'm guilty. I've tried to do it. And I actually, you know, if you did fool me once, you know, go fool me once, fool me twice, fool me thrice deal, it's, I, I've given up. I've thrown up my hands. I'm like, I can't. No, no, no. no, we're never going to give up. That's one that we will we're never not gonna give, give up. up. We're not going to give up money, but I'm going to give up, try to handicap the, what the Fed's going to do. So, it's and, and, and that's why Dad says we, we should, shouldn't be talking about it at all. But that's, that, that is, that, that is driving, that driving sentiment. That's what, you know, that, that's. We don't have to hear any more about the Fed until February because they don't have a meeting in January. So now what's the focus going to be on? Earnings. The focus is going to be on earnings. First quarter. Fourth quarter will be probably okay in the first quarter. We'll in, see. In this, in this returning debate, we'll get back to the same debate amongst the prognosticators and the analysts about what is what should fair value be in terms of the earnings numbers. Should it be, should we put a, you know, a 17 times or, you know, 16 times or 15 times or 20 times, not 20 for sure. You know, what's the, what's the appropriate uh, uh, PE ratio that should be applied to stocks um, in 2023, trying to determine what's an appropriate level for the markets to be at uh, on a total valuation basis. And you know, to me, uh I, I just don't think – I think January is going to be very challenged. I think there's going to be a lot of companies that are going to try – they're going to come in and they're going to try to lower the bar as much as they can. Um, we're starting to hear more and more about layoffs. On Friday, Goldman Sachs announced they Goldman were going Sachs. to lay off about 8% of their workforce. I think there's more Wall – definitely more Wall Street layoffs to come. Um I'm expecting to hear some layoff <clears throat> announcements from some of the big tech companies. That's um, already, already heard. We've, we've already, already, already heard it from Amazon. We haven't heard. We haven't heard. You know, any actual layoffs from like a Google or an Apple. Um, you know, some of those type companies. Uh, but I, I think, I think an app. You know, an Apple warning on earnings in the first week of January is is definitely going to be a big shot across the bow you know from those large you know those large mega cap tech names and I see we're coming up here to the end of the segment we'll we'll stop there and we'll come back on the other side and finish the thought you're listening to moneywise with Davidson Capital Management we'll be back after this welcome back you're listening to moneywise with Davidson Capital Management if you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. 
Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation, receive a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise Guys, you can reach our office in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investor-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're in the final segment of this weekend's Money Wise program. There were two other economic news announcements for the week. We had retail sales that came out. I believe they were they came out on uh, Friday, on Thursday, and retail sales were down six tenths of a percent from the previous month. And industrial production was also announced on Thursday, and it declined. Two-tenths of a percent. Now, next week, we've got a bunch of housing numbers. We've got housing starts. We've got existing home sales. We've got new home sales. I think the the bar is pretty low for all that. They're probably not going to be great numbers. We also have the final meeting for third quarter GDP. Um, core PCE, which is another inflation number that the Federal Reserve likes to track, and durable goods. So there's a lot of economic numbers next week. Uh, don't have any earnings numbers. Uh, prob- I would expect a volatile week with not a lot of players. Well, you, you, we talked about not a whole lot of news at the end of the end of the year. PCE might you may see some volatility on that day, maybe a little bit of a pop if the numbers are better than expected. Maybe, so. but we get it's so far out to the next to the next Fed meeting. We're going to have CPI and PPI more mm-hmm. more prints on those those in January, which will feed into whatever the Fed's going to do in February. I, I think at this point, uh, we get everyone's got to, all the you know managers, uh, you know us included, though we've already finished doing this. There's going to be you know, tax loss selling needs to be completed in the in the next uh, couple of weeks. Are we going to have any er- are we going to have any earnings warnings? You know, come out at the end of this year, or they just wait until the first week of January to come out with earnings warnings? Well, you're uh, talking about Apple. I'm going to get you yeah. back on track because we need okay. to talk about Apple a little bit and, and what to it. look forward to maybe in the first quarter. So. Well. It, we know they've had some issues with uh, getting phone, getting the new iPhone 14 produced because of the COVID shutdowns in uh, uh, China and how that's affected production, how that's going to affect their sales. Is it going to affect uh, their earnings? And you know, if there's going to be a, if there's going to be a warning from the biggest of them all, uh, that, that's not going to set a great tone for first quarter earnings. And as I'd said, I think in the in the first segment of this this, this weekend show, I'm not 100% convinced that that we that we can't go below the previous low. You know, I think I had been said earlier in the summer, um, prior to those lows we reached in September, that I thought that the you know, the worst case scenario uh, for the S and P 500 would be we go back to the February. 2020 high, which I believe was like 3,200, 3,400. I can't. It may have been 3,400 on the S&P, which would have represented roughly a 30% decline peak to trough, which would correlate well with the average bear market decline that's been, I think this is bear market 13 or 14, something like that, since the 1920s crash. Um, so that's what I thought was, you know, a, a, a more worst case scenario for the S&P. We didn't get there in September. Uh, 
some bad earnings news uh, in the first quarter uh, could certainly motivate the market to get down, to get to be well on its way back to the lower end of that range. Because uh, if you look at a chart of the S&P, we've had this this range where the, the highs of we've been a series of lower highs and lower lows, you know, all, all year long. It's a classic bearish pattern. And if, if the bear market follows, you know, the classic, you know, 18 month time period, that would mean the bear market should be ending sometime between the first and second quarter of of next Next year, year. which would, which would allow companies to get bad earnings news in the first quarter it, maybe there might be a little bit of follow-on in the second quarter, and and then the, the the markets will bottom. The Fed will have done all the interest rate increases they need. If the if inflation continues to decline at the pace that's going that it's currently declining, you know we could be at a you know a five handle by the second quarter of of next year, and the Fed will start probably really talking dovish. And that'll give me a cue for the market to start to turn around because we always have to remember as an investor that the markets are going to turn before, before the economy the, does. And, the, right. and, and interest rates will, will reach their peaks before the Federal Reserve stops raising the Fed fund rates. Yes, Joe. I just wanted to hit on something. You're talking about Apple and earnings in the first and second quarter next year. And we talked about it earlier in the show. Make sure you know what you own. Take a look at your portfolio. If you're overweight, large cap growth or the mega tech, the mega cap stocks, you know you may want to take a look at your portfolio. I think going into next year, you need a more balanced approach. I think that's the one thing you could do is make sure you know what you own going into next year. Do your due diligence. Take some time off if you have a downtime. Take a look at your portfolio, see what you own. If you have a bunch of mutual funds, do a little bit of research and see how much exposure you have. If what you said comes to fruition, earnings aren't what they're supposed to be in the first quarter of next year. And if it's the case, and you're talking about Apple, Apple leads almost every, a lot of different indexes, especially the S&P. So do your due diligence and do your homework. Yeah, it's it's time to start taking stock in, you know, in the portfolios. And a lot of people do that here at the end of the year. And, you know, this is, this is going to be one of those unusual years uh, where, you know, if, if your portfolio was being managed professionally, you probably have a lot of capital gains and you're probably going to have negative performance. And, and those are, you know, those are unusual circumstances. You're going to have a tax bill in April. It's like, how do I have a tax bill in April? And my portfolio actually lost money. That's the kind of year, you know, it's been a while since we've had a year like this. This is going to be, barring some sort of miracle in the next nine days, which I don't think is going to happen next few trading days, this is going to be the worst year since 2008. Well, if you're taking – It's been a long time. If you're booking some of those losses and you're making those adjustments in your portfolio, remember, you know, you may pay taxes, but you could have lost more if your (laughs) advisor's not doing anything. So – so we're coming up to the end of the show. I want to send a shout out to my niece, Kyle's oldest daughter, Caitlin, who's graduating from Texas A&M College Station Whoop. on Friday with a bachelor's in psychology. She's going on to uh, uh, earn a master's at A&M. So congratulate. I think she's going to A&M. I think she may be going to another school. Congratulations uh, uh, for uh, uh, getting that degree. I'd also like to send a shout out. To my step stepdaughter Samantha, who got straight A's in her first semester 
as a freshman. That's awesome. Congrats. So we're, com- we're coming to the top of the hour break. So you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation, receive a portfolio and re- review and analysis from the Money Wise guys. You can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800 275 2162. For our listeners here in Corpus Christi, stay tuned for the second hour of Money Wise. After the top of the hour break, we'll continue this weekend's program with some investor education. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's Money Wise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues, because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different – is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. 
C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. Well, Think about eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Now remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made ten thousand dollars a year back in the late sixties. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I, I know that, but, but but when you see this number, uh, eight hundred thousand dollars, I I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey, and so. I guess what I'm saying is, I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that. I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement and have I saved enough, am I doing enough towards my retirement uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents, our grandparents didn't have $800,000 when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but, I, but I'm thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no. and mom's no. parents. No, I'm, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, when, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year, and we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one so that they can continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their, on their, in their 
care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep, we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two, a popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world. I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So in high school, maybe, in, you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics 101 should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz well, to let's take. Let's flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them Wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, 
I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers. They're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire. Their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say it is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, not. is is it bad to to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been, and I've been uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our, our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. 
And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. Is up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge. Also, one other thing I didn't say, I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I, I, I don't. If think you that... look at the actuarial charts though, Dad, right now someone age 65, they have a better than 50% chance to live well into their 80s Yeah, that, uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it. But I totally disagree. I think that, I mean, there is very few people are going to live to be 92. Very, very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four, among workers age 55 plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement? And what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic, thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65, all of a sudden you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money over the That's about $12,500 a year. You're not going to be on any grand a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. 
Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hay. And no, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are. And you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics I'm, just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though, and this is 36 percent of of age 55 plus. 36 percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that. That is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing the quiz that came out of the Wall Street Journal, Think You're Ready to Retire?, that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recovery's past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees. They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And, now, and now workers are currently thinking about 
age 66. I mean, I which think... Would, and, which and would I, be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's security. something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And, and, and really, IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that, when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality, only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age, and the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses, so we're just talking about, and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how could no 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 yeah yeah one in so four. So how could so. only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be twenty six, <laughs> twenty five. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at I, the Center what, what for what Retirement saying, Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies. Everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing 
the few, we're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're, we're not embarked. Even get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act. Act? Health Act. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying the baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's and going now to skew Social it, Security it's benefits It's going to and skew entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most now this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate and a fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48% believe that they will only need $50,000 to pay 
health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. Uh, that number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe 800000 before I'd believe 200000 <laughs> because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, number, that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on, we have been on for a long time talking about low participation. Low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution right, low, on top low, of that. Yeah. And you, when you add those two together, then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on $120,000 a year and out 3% inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, 
you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation while they're continuing to accept extremely low returns in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is forty one percent carry housing debt and thirty two percent carry credit card debt. Now this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000 according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, Hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that that are, I think, in in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable now that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. 
It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key. And pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line. And so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in in, in, in retirement, if you want to get a a re, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.